Hey everybody, welcome to The Lawyer's Daughter. And you know I am ridiculously excited because I get excited about things that uh, provide great insight. I guess I, 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 I have teased that Paige was gonna be here today. This is Paige Brandt. She's in for the interview. Um, and um, yeah, she's, I'm so excited to have her here. And she's not, well, she might be freezing, but she, you're in Iowa, right? Um, so I'm in Nebraska. So Nebraska. I'm like right next to Iowa and Nebraska, so. Oh my God, it's like worse. I don't know, Nebraska, yeah. colder, right? Yeah. But y'all are prepared for the cold, so it's a little different than in the southern United States right now, where we're having a really hard time. And for those of you guys that know, I'm posting this in a couple of days, but we're recording this during the week of the big storms, so that you know the context. So Paige and I got to talking, found this paper when we're talking about gaslighting. And Paige wrote this paper about self-gaslighting. And we're going to get into it, but I got super excited about it because um, it it like explained some things for me that I've done to myself. And I ended up, and I, I told Paige to have a little bit about this, but I ended up going to therapy yesterday, which is partially pandemic survival therapy just to see someone else and partially still healing therapy. And we ended up talking about the stuff that is here in Paige's paper and her and how she did her own self-healing and what she used. I mean, she didn't do it all by herself, but she, she used the paradigm we're going to talk about for the healing. And it opened some doors, which I'll talk about later when we get to that point, but it really opened me yesterday to some stuff I was literally going through yesterday. I was doing self-gaslighting yesterday and I freaking didn't even know it. I mean, that's, that's how hard this is, guys. That's how hard it is in, in our, in our culture, in our consciousness, in our learned behaviors, that we are hardwired to not even really notice it, which is something, which is, Paige is going to make, make this um, assertion in her paper that she made this assertion in her paper and as she talks about this she'll talk about it but we are really inculcated to do this kind of thing based on how our culture works so um so Paige tell us okay you graduated from Simpson College tell us a little bit about how we got here I know I found you on Google but I was so excited to talk to you yes so how I got here um so I started at Simpson and I was in a feminist philosophy class um, and I, you know, we were talking about gaslighting. We read this awesome philosopher, Maria Lagones, and we talked about Maria, um, Mariano Ortega, and they had this, um, concept of multiplicity, which I talk about in my paper. Um, and it's this concept kind of about having multiple cells, but having one self and how we travel through these cells within different worlds that we inhabit. Um, the worlds being like, being at work, different relationships that you have with other people and that sort of thing. And I kind of thought about gaslighting and I was like, well, you know, if you can gaslight another person, I wonder if you can gaslight yourself. And so I started on this journey of writing this paper, my junior year of college of my bachelor's degree about self gaslighting. And my professor was very helpful um, in helping me kind of figure out what path I wanted to take and how Okay, we just lost audio. One second. Just pause one second, um, Paige, because I just want to make sure there's nothing else going on. I, I don't know why we're losing audio, but I don't want to lose it because it's good. Um, so, okay. Try speak again. Okay. You're right? back. Okay, good. I just want to make sure the audio is, the, uh, we can live with a frozen picture, but the audio part I want to okay. hear. Okay, so your professor was, um, I'm guessing you guys discussed it. They He sent, he or she sent you another directions to look at 
other stuff, which is if you guys, if you haven't done this with your advisor, you hadn't have the opportunity, they send you chasing all kinds of stuff. So yeah, and then you have to decide if it's relevant or not. That's the whole critical thinking part. Yes. Um, and then I read this paper by Rachel McKinnon, I believe is her name, um, about gaslighting. And that's kind of like what really got me going on this whole self-gaslighting thing. Um, she kind of like sparked this fire in me. And um, I wrote this paper for, a, uh, for an assignment. I didn't get the grade I wanted. Um, and then my, yeah. <laughs> Girl. <laughs> yes. Um, and then my senior year came around, I had to pick a thesis paper. And so I decided to continue writing on self-gaslighting, kind of perfect what it meant yeah. to self-gaslight. Um, and that's when I got the opportunity to publish in the Johns Hopkins uh, Maxi Journal. And here we are. Now, guys, I just want to hit this because two sad things happened because of COVID is that Paige was supposed to present both at Simpson and at Johns Hopkins, and they both got canceled. Yeah, and I mean, it's as if as if the culture isn't already working against our best interests. Here's <laughs> yeah. this great paper sitting out there that's languishing because of the pandemic, and and honestly, I hope at least all of us it'll foster discussion, and you can carry it forward in that way. But the idea of what we're going to talk about here and this multiplicity of persons, which is huge for anybody with trauma. And we're gonna get into it in a, in a couple minutes, but anyone that survived trauma, ever, I don't even know how you can't feel this way, is you feel like you broke. Like you feel like now there's two of you. And in fact, you speak to that in the paper, this idea that I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard is I want my old me back. I just want my old me back. Right, and when you go through multiple traumas, um, I'm a trauma survivor myself and I've been through Gosh, I actually went to therapy today and we went through a list of all the traumas that this is like actually perfect for today. We went through a list of all the traumas that I have um, been through in my life. And through each trauma, I feel like a new self emerged and I have to learn how to navigate the world through the new self. So there's multiple selves that I have that I can recall um, through time, you know, like when I was a kid and I you know, fell off my bike and hit my head, you know, a self emerged after that, you know, and then after I was sexually assaulted, a self emerged after that, after my friend died, a self emerged after that, you know, you know, after my divorce, a self emerged after that. Um, and so you have all of these selves that emerge and you kind of have to figure out how to reconcile all of them, but also keep them separate so that way it doesn't become too overwhelming. Yeah. Okay. So that's, um, that's literally what happened to my therapy yesterday is that I realized one of myself who's been incredibly strong and based on my history, I, we ended up calling her the manager. And it's okay. Yeah. You got people. Um, but the manager was showing up yesterday and beating the hell out of me. And so what I realized is that I need to tell the manager because my life has changed so much. Like the manager doesn't have to leave. She just needs to relax right now. Like she's too busy beating me up, but I can't take it. I cannot have that critical manager person in charge right now. It's not the right time. I need to find my other selves and almost let them blossom and grow and nurture those and tell the manager, take a damn break, man. You've done it great for 40 years, but calm down. And so it, it, this idea and what we'll talk about is, is really powerful because it, 
instead of hating all the multiple selves, you find a way to accept them. And as you just said, start to work out the relationships and find where they bring you tremendous strength. It, I did an interview with the Opus Peace folks and they say, don't waste your suffering. And that's all. And that's really what this is an expression of is don't waste that suffering. It's made you amazing. Yes. It's made you empathetic and strong and uh, quick Here and vigilant and all these other. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. So, so just, so as, as everybody's starting to listen to this and we, uh, we're going to, I'm going to shut up now, but as everybody starts to listen to this, just think of your internal strength and the opportunity before you to embrace the goodness and not look at this as all awful. It's actually your superpowers. Yes. And so, and, and, and I mean, if you look here, I, I teased Paige when she got on because I go, oh, great, you're 12. Like she's young. She's at the beginning of this, right, guys? But you all, half of you guys listening, I know the trauma's happened. Same with me. Right when your page is age, like this shit already happened in your childhood, in your young adult years, crap happened to you. Do not waste that. Take that strength. It's uh, it's part of growing up that we, and Paige will say this, it's part of the growing up we never talk about. So, okay, so Paige, let's, let me let you do the talking now, I'll shut up. But I was, okay. I'm just so excited about this because it just resonates so much. So you start, and, and guys, I'll, I'll publish, I, as always, I'll put links to stuff, both links to contact page, if you'd like, and links to the paper in the descriptions of the podcast. You can always go get the links whenever there's relevant information, but I want to make sure you have access to this. And, and we're not constrained by the paper page. I just thought it was interesting because you, you actually present it rationally because it's a paper. So it's a nice way to talk about it. And at first, you just talk about the idea of gaslighting, which yeah. hopefully most of my listeners are familiar with. But you do talk about it as something that frequently happens to sexual assault survivors. Yes. So when I wrote this paper, my inspiration came from my own experience with sexual assault. So I'm going to kind of start there because that's um, where I feel I have most of my validity, where it comes from. Um, so when I was in high school, I was, um, yeah, I was sexually assaulted. Um, one in three women experience some type of sexual violence in their lifetime. That's the statistic that we have right now. So if it's not you guys, someone you love, I'm serious. Yeah. It's, it's so close to us that if you yeah. can sit here and say, you don't know someone, you're not listening. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Move um, on. <laughs> when I was younger, I was sexually assaulted. And I, when I was like, in sophomore year, I believe, of high school or college, I went to this performance about sexual assault. And I realized that I was actually assaulted in high school. Um, so you didn't, realize, it didn't realize it at the time. No. And you explain why and, and tell us why you didn't realize it at the time. So I real I didn't realize it at the time because of the cold. Okay, so I didn't really know what consent was. Um, just based on like the culture that I grew up in, um, you know, my parents talked about don't have sex, wear a condom, that was it. Um, and so I didn't, again, I didn't learn that I was sexually assaulted in high school until my sophomore year of college when I went to this performance um, that my college put on. Um, and it was in the middle of this performance that I learned that coercion is a form of sexual assault. And as I was sitting there, I was, you know, thinking back to this experience and I was like, oh, 
well, then that means I was assaulted. But it was almost three years ago at that point. So I thought, what, what's the point of coming forward, you know? Right. I, I didn't, I didn't have sh- evidence. Yeah, that's a totally common experience at this point. And you tend to say, I was stupid. I didn't know better. Football people are amazing. Like, I mean, we do have this weird hero worship too that causes us to overinflate people's status. Right. So yeah, so you're you're figuring out three years later, like, I guess I was just stupid. Is that how it felt or? Um, I don't think I thought that I was stupid. I just felt like I had been manipulated. Mm, really good. Okay, that's true. Yep. I had been manipulated into a situation and I felt like because the situation you know, I was at this guy's house. He'd driven me there. We were, you know, living in a small town. People live out in the middle of nowhere. It was cold. It was winter time. I couldn't just get up and walk out the door and walk back into town, you know, like he was my ride home. And so I felt like if I didn't perform, then something bad was going to happen to me. And I didn't want to be the person that something bad happened to. So that's why I felt like at first, like, oh, nothing bad did happen to me me because you know I, I went along with it but you know we talk about trauma responses you know the fight flight response but there's also freeze and then there's follow mm-hmm. okay so, so fight flight freeze or follow which is go along to get along I mean it's a coping mechanism so that makes a yeah. lot of sense right so I, followed. so I followed because I didn't want anything bad to happen to me I didn't I have a lot of um, trauma that kind of like taught me how to not fight. And so that wasn't my natural instinct. My natural instinct is to freeze. I've learned that over the years. Um, And in that situation, freezing didn't do anything. So I went to the next step, which was to follow, which was to go along with it, to make sure I stayed safe, to make sure no harm came to my physical body. And I did not realize until my sophomore year that that's what a form of sexual assault is. Um, and so after I had processed that, I kind of like started to blame myself. I was like, why did I even go over to this guy's house? Like I was barely talking, like I barely was talking to him, you know, like, you know, that mm. talking phase, you know, like why did I even let him kiss me? Why did I you know, let him do X, Y, and Z to where we could even get to that point. You know what I mean? So yeah, Yeah, he eventually managed to successfully isolate you. So your choices were limited. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so I, and then I had another experience when I was in college um, that also led to this paper. Um, I won't have to go into as many details. I was just drinking more, a costume that, you know, college girls wear costumes mm-hmm. um, that are, you know, revealing and a man took advantage of me again. And, you know, I blamed myself for that as well. I said, well, if I hadn't been drinking, if I had decided to wear a different outfit, maybe that wouldn't have happened. And so I have these experiences where I'm blaming myself and I'm, I'm holding these ideas in my head that it's my fault. And I'm, functioning under this logic that if I would have done something different, the situation would have been different. Of course. 
we know is not the case now. Okay, and I'm going to pause a second because that is, I know that it doesn't matter. It's beyond sexual assault, guys. We all do this to ourselves. If only I had, if only I hadn't, if only, you know, we do this, this is the start of the self-talk that you, where you start to gaslight yourself because somehow you are omnipotent and all powerful and you're supposed to know all the things and all the outcomes and make all the right choices all the time. Like, I don't even know who taught us that crap, but yes. My therapist made a really good point. She said, if you would have known that you would have been assaulted, would you have wore what you wore? And I said, no. She said, if you would have known you had been assaulted, would you have drank as much? I said, no. She said, you cannot make decisions on Wednesday based on, how'd you say it? You can't make decisions on Wednesday based on, or no, you can't make decisions on Monday based on Wednesdays, something like that. Information, yeah, like, of course you wouldn't have done those things, but that still puts it on you. It doesn't right. take any responsibility for the other person's behavior because the fact is we shouldn't be able we should be able to go to a party and not worry that sexual assault is the outcome. Like right. That's just nuts. And unfortunately, because that number is so high, that one in three is so high that we women in particular, because that number is one in three for women, we feel like it is our fault because we have to take all these precautions. You know, we don't go to the bathroom alone. We make sure that if we leave, we leave it, we're leaving with a trusted person, usually another female. Um, we make sure that we have mace or pepper spray. We carry our keys in between our fingers. We do the key claw. The key, the key claw, you know. The key claw. We check our back seat before we get into our car. We lock our doors immediately after we get into our car. There's so many things that we do, and so it makes it feel like it's our fault, our responsibility to not be assaulted so that's the unfortunate part so it's interesting because as you start to dig into what's going on with gaslighting you talk about this idea of authority or power and it came up with my favorite word you're going to have to say it because i can't find it really fast but this epistemic authority okay guys epistemic like epipen epistemic authority which is a big word for um, assi- like assigned authority, right? It's this idea of we've endowed someone with this authority. Yep. So in lay terms, basically it's someone's assumed authority to know something about a certain topic. So like I have epistemic authority about my life because it's my life. And in fact, everybody has epistemic yes. authority over yes. their life, which is where you begin your argument, which is it is with that it is with that important thing. You own your life, people. You own your life and you are the authority on your life. It is when we start to let go of that epistemic authority is that we lose, we, we can be made crazy. Yes. That, that's what a gaslighter is trying to do is to steal your epistemic authority, your inherent ability to know your own life. Yes. And I don't know, I'd have to, I... I'm going to be honest. I haven't read my paper. Um, I have it pulled up right here. So like I could probably skim it. Well, but... it's your Christine Blasey Ford one. It's the Christine Blasey Ford and Kavanaugh yes. example. That was the one that like, you got me between the eyes on that. So yeah. Go ahead. Make your point. What was your point during that, tr- during that hearings? My point is we give as a society, men 
and particularly white men, more epistemic authority to speak on events than we do women and people of color. And so that was, and that's what we saw played out. Regardless of where you stand on the Kavanaugh hearings, all of that, what, what triggered a whole bunch of us is that he was given epistemic authority over her over Christine. And so yeah. Christine Blasey Ford, who is the epistemic authority of her own life. Yeah. The only reason she came forward is she actually felt some responsibility to protect us, the nation, American citizens yep. from a man who had absolutely demonstrated really um, perpetrator like behavior. I mean, there's more than one yep. story guys. So I, I, I believe her completely because if you look at her life and who she is and everything else there's everything about her speaks to her epistemic authority that she does know yeah. her own truth and so what we saw happen is we, I, I mean I remember the nation almost fractured along male female lines because women women felt it so hard when they when people were just like oh this woman can't even remember if it was him and it's like no 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 she remembers it was him she doesn't yeah. remember the label on the beer bottle but she remembers right. it was him. And something that's interesting about that is I think people tend to um, have a misunderstanding of what trauma does. Um, when someone is experiencing trauma, our brain tends to um, kind of shut down and we catch fragments. Okay. Um, it protects. It starts to protect you, right? It, it starts to, to protect. It starts to protect, but we catch fragments of the situation that's happening. So of course she's not going to remember the label on the beer bottle. Yeah, she's going to remember who assaulted her, though. Some people um, don't remember like the color of the person's eyes, but they have an idea of what the face shape looked like. They're not going to remember. Oh, did he have? light brown hair or dark brown hair, but they're going to know he had brown hair. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me because I think we probably remember like we learn. So I tend to be a visual learner and yeah. and, and um, smell. I would remember smells. I, I always remember smells. It's like a thing for me, but it makes sense to me that I absolutely would not remember what it looks like because I've trained myself. I don't really focus on looks very much. That's not a thing for me, right. but it's more like their holist, their, their, gestalt as I'll call it so yeah. it makes sense that your brain would remember the things that are salient to you yeah in that moment which but your point is because your brain doesn't remember every detail like a like a prosecutor would want you to remember right your your epistemic authority is taken away it just makes me so sad because this is the nature of trauma by the very injury itself you are put at a disadvantage yeah but but that's that's why i tell you guys write stuff down anytime you feel like something bad happened just take a note just have that journal because your contemporaneous contemporaneous notes are really important it'll remind you of what was important to you at the time and it may help you fill out more later but that's a different discussion but just that idea of yeah our brain is serving us mm -hmm. because it's dealing with the crisis Yep, it kind of starts to shut down so that way it can function to serve to help us survive the situation. Yeah. And and the way we move in courtrooms and the legal system moves is absolutely not focused on our humanity in that way. It just doesn't no. it doesn't take into account how this really works. It wants facts and it wants, I mean, it's just kind of ridiculous where we go in court 
on these kind of cases because a trauma victim isn't going to be a great witness. No. They're going to be an emotional just, witness. Most times they just went through a trauma. So their body is still in that fight or flight mode. And now you have everybody coming at you and some of them may be gaslighting you as well. Again, yes. not the point of this, but you can see how the layers of complexity, when you, all y'all, all who are listening and gone, I think sometimes I go crazy. Hello, do you start to understand how systemically, it's so this is, yeah, it's a systemic problem. It's like all the problems we're talking about right now, it's systemic, it's baked in to how it works. And that's how, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so I, I love that you brought that up because I wanna like transition to the idea of this like idea of public language um, because it is a systemic problem. So I talk about in my paper how we have this public language that we talk about and how I think you talked about it in your podcast for last week, um, how we gaslight people and we don't even know it or we're gaslit and we don't even know it. Um, so they use language. Uh, I think a few of the examples that I use in my paper are like, why are you being so overdramatic? Or are you, emotional. Sure, are you sure that was even an insult? Or you're, you're crazy. Are you sure that's what happened? Are you sure that's what happened that way? Those are examples of gaslighting, but those are so common phrases that we just use in our everyday language. Like just to question a person's experiences. Like, I don't know, like one of my girlfriends will call me up and be like, hey, like boyfriend and I got into a fight. He said this and my, I hate to say it, my immediate reaction was like, well, what did you do? You know what I mean? So like, yep, we just do it. Like I'm guilty of it. Everyone's guilty of it because it's this idea that we have this public language that we have implicitly learned since we were, since we learned how to speak, since we learned how to interact with people. And it's so ingrained in us that you have to be so conscious of it in order to not do it. So there's two things about what you just said. One is that as Americans, we're highly transactional in our communications, meaning tit for yes. tat. This, in fact, I'm convinced that's what leads to middle-aged bickering because we all just become transaction-based and stop understanding context and feelings and seeing the person we're talking to. It's just, did you put it on the shelf? No, I put it on the thing. Why did you put it there? And we become super transaction-based. So that's the first thing. That's why I often just keep reminding folks, stop and listen, take time to hear listening doesn't mean you agree the other thing i was going to say is that um everybody always counters with the it's uh, you know the both sides of it's there's two sides to every story that's fine in in Paige's example two sides to every story is fine but there's a way to ask it to say do you think yeah. do you think you contributed to this is completely different than what did you do right because you're saying do you think and they go no i don't think i did and you go okay that's fair you don't think you did that's what I want to know. And again, listening yeah. doesn't mean you agree. Listening just means you're creating that space to stop putting people, you know, when did you stop beating your wife? It's if you're just putting them in this terrible place instead of opening it up. There's just a different way to ask the question to open things up for the answer. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, those are just, just like two of my soapbox issues. So. <laughs> no, yeah, no, that's, that's great. That's a great um, point to make because like there is a right right and wrong um, in this sense, like way to go about gaslighting and not gaslighting someone when someone comes to you with a concern, you know, with my friends, I really have to kind of stop myself and be like, okay, how can I approach them 
without making them feel like they are at fault in this situation. Because my goal as a friend is to be supportive. My goal is to support them, to be empathetic, to be compassionate, and to be kind. And to let them know that whatever they need, I am there for them. My goal is also to be like a rational person. So like, mm-hmm. you know, calling out on their bull. When yeah, they we, call, I, need we do that. need to call our friends out on their thing. But first we need to listen. Yeah, I totally hear what you're saying. Yeah, first, first we need to listen. And you need to create a space, a safe space for them to be able to express those concerns. And you can't do that if you're gaslighting them. You can't do it. And in fact, in, in, when I was in coaching school, the number one thing I learned from them was so great is that if you want to bring up something difficult, you ask first. You know, I have an observation on what you're saying. Do you mind if I share that with you? And the thing is, what that does, it sounds lame, but what it does is it just allows them to, to take the defenses down, take a step back and go, oh, they're going to tell me something hard. Am I ready to hear it? And they'll tell you no if they're not. But if they are, you just change the whole vibe. Like now we're going to talk about this hard thing. And it also sets up great time to like set up boundaries because like there have been a lot of times when, you know, either I'm going through something hard or my friends are going through something hard and like we need to talk to each other. I'll text one of my friends and be like, hey, like, are you busy? They're like, no. And I'm like, can I talk to you about something that I'm going through? And either they're going through something and they're like, no, not right now is not a good time. That's my cue to like step back and say, okay, like they can't handle what I'm going through right, right. now. That's okay. And vice, and vice versa. But that's a healthy thing to do because then we're not getting into like a, my cup is empty, your cup is empty. So oh we're God. trying to fill each other's cup you know what I mean no no that's classic well I mean it's just specifically classic among women right like we we're always trying to take care of each other and at the same time we're on empty yeah it's it just yes yeah so and and the thing is guys the stuff we're talking about like this is such an opportunity to teach your kids this is such an opportunity to get in the way of our cultural systemic ways of behaving and start to think about wait what am I teaching my kids Am I teaching them to buck up and move on or just slow down and listen to one another and, and talk things out? So, okay, so I'm going to transition again because this idea of epistemic authority, like it's my authority and I'm the, I'm the boss of me and I know my own experiences. Although somebody's now whittled Autonomy. away. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So somebody started to whittle this away, but the problem that you discovered is you were whittling yourself away. Yes. So this is self-gaslighting. So tell me what's going on. So I'm going to try and do this in the best way I know how. <laughs> um, so <laughs> bear with me. Um, so self-gaslighting, I kind of talked a little bit uh, earlier about this idea of multiplicity. And this is where the idea of multiplicity comes back in. So, okay, so multiplicity just to recap really quick. Many selves, like this multiple, many when, selves. Yeah, when Paige is saying multiplicity, she's saying you co- you come fully loaded with many of you. <laughs> yes, with multiple selves. So that's what I mean by multiplicity. So like I have a self that functions at work. I have a self that functions at home. I have a self that functions with my parents, with my brothers, with my friends, with my coworkers, with significant others. Um you know, in different groups that I inhabit, Um, you know, like when I'm with X person and Y person, I'm a self. When I'm with A and B person, I'm a self. Um, So you have lots of selves. Um, And I want to take, let me take one more minute because I want everybody to absorb this. And it's, I'm going to bring up a tangent just for a quick second, because the number one thing we're hearing from young 
adults, and I'm going to consider anybody 15 and older, a young adult for this, for this statement, but that they, that kids complain parents don't know them. And part of it is their self, their, their external, the self that's not at home. Parents think that their kids are the same self when they go out in the world. The reality is the kid at home who's not generous might be incredibly generous outside the home. The kid who's not affectionate at home might be really touch-driven outside of the home. So it's a, it's a big deal in parenting right now because as the kids are finally getting a way to express themselves because of social media stuff in ways they didn't have before, the focus now is for parents to start to try to learn more about their kids' other selves. So that was just a tangent, but it's this idea of, it's a, it's a big deal. It's, it's really, this theory has a lot of merit in how we conduct ourselves in the world. So I'm sorry, but I just, it's such an important concept. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we have that, we have that basis. So there's multiple selves. Um, so self-gaslighting is dependent upon the relationship that a person has with themselves. So when a trauma happens, a new self is created. Um, Kate Bryson um, talks about this pre and post trauma self. So that's kind of the verbiage that I use in my paper. Um, so this new self has to learn how to navigate uh, this world that we live in. Um, and there's a disconnect between the person that they were before the assault and the person that they are after the assault. Um, and so self-gaslighting then um, happens because there is two selves that function under what I call the dominant logic. There's a dominant self and a subordinate self that function under the dominant logic. And this dominant logic is the logic that says people who have been sexually assaulted are to blame. They should have wore something different. They shouldn't have drank as much. They should have walked in pairs, um, should have checked the backseat of the car. All those notions that we have um, as a society that place the blame on the victim. So that dominant self, sorry, just instantly turned into critical parent, right? But that dominant self yeah. is essentially taking all of our cultural BS yes. and shoving it on you. And it can be useful at times, like don't speed or don't, yes. I mean, it can't, that, it's a useful logic, but it's, but it's also full of garbage. Yes. So there's this dominant self and then the subordinate self and this dominant self is gaslighting the subordinate self. So that's ah. how self-gaslighting works within the self. So in my case, I have the dominant self telling me, and sometimes still does tell me, you know, you shouldn't have wore what you wore. You shouldn't have drank what you drank. You shouldn't have gotten in his car. Okay. Um, and then I'm going to introduce um, my way out of it if you're yes. ready for it. This is it. Okay, guys, this is the money shot. So there's a way now you've got, you've got the voices. That you, it, 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 I often bring my coaching paradigm because when you're in it feeling like a victim, it's super hard. I always talk about it. It's hard to come out of the, the abyss of victimhood because your choices are so limited as a victim. But, but what Paige is going to tell you now is to some ways to start to climb out of that hole. And it has a lot to do with just how you think. Yes. Go girl. Cause this is the big payoff. Yes. So I was kind of stuck in this um, victim mindset, this dominant subordinate self. And I thought there has to be a way out of this. There's the idea of temporality and, you know, being connected to your past uh, selves and 
um, being able to connect with them. So that way you can feel safe. After, like if you are in, um, like for me, I would, and still have panic attacks and, um, uh, you know, kind of relive my trauma every once in a while. And so I envision myself back when I felt safe. I envision a self that is safe. But what is really important is creating what I call a feminist logic, which is a new self. Feminist logic, people. This is it's a, good a new thing. self. Yes, it's a new self. It's a new logic that one of yourselves or multiple selves can adhere to and can develop and basically this self fights against all of those notions that the dominant logic is putting on top of the subordinate self so this says it's not your fault people who sexually assault someone are only doing it for power and control you did not ask for it you did not want this you had no control over the events of that night and those are things that have to be replayed over and over, over again and over and guys and we're not saying this is easy but it's no but it's active and it's yes. within your control yes and and from everything i know about behavior coaching and psychology and everything else is the minute you start to embrace even that dominant logic person and say you know what you're kind of loud you need to I'm going to introduce you to my feminist logic that's going to help you get woke. Like, it's, it's, it's an active thing you can do, and it, it can be tiring. I, I agree. But on the other hand, it can be super empowering because you're starting to make these shifts. And as you make them, they're going to, they're going to start they to live easier. with you. Yeah, it gets, it, you start to live with it, right? It becomes inculcated in who you are. Yeah. And so, I mean, like I said, I still struggle with this. Like, this is something that is not an easy thing. It does not happen overnight. Um because we uh, unfortunately we live in a society that still perpetuates that dominant logic that I talk about. You know, we still have a society that says, you know, if you're sexually assaulted, it was probably your fault. When in reality, that's not true. We know that's not true, but we live in a society that still holds those values and that, that idea. And so um, it's a battle that I still fight and that I hope other people are still fighting and continue to fight um, because as I have embraced my feminist logic, I have regained a lot of control and a lot of freedom, actually, um, from my trauma. It, well, it kind of knocks those shoulds away, right? Like, yeah, should should because they're they're <laughs> if the people on audio can't see, we're both flicking our hands like yeah. go away, go away, like a fly. Yeah. But the idea of it's, it became so apparent to me yesterday in my therapy session as I was, I had thought about this all in the sexual assault context, but then when I realized it was over money, but I had shamed myself so hard and it's not real. I mean, the shame was ridiculous, but it was old stuff, right? It was jet, that dominant logic. And the idea of, I'm not going to get rid of that person par personality. That's going to be part of me. But the idea of telling her to sit down, relax, have a Coke and a smile and just calm down and I'm going to let other parts of me step in right now so that I didn't feel the shame it it I I'm telling you I walked into the therapy appointment just coincidentally in a full panic attack and by the time I left I was belly breathing I'm like oh my god like my shoulders just came down and now yeah and I don't feel the need to constantly cry and like oh my god so it's totally worth it 
Yeah. It's so worth it. And I suspect journaling, like if you start to hear that dominant logic come in, you could journal those and start to track what you're telling yourself, which is a classic tool therapists use, yeah. classic. Um, and however journaling, I always say journaling, but I mean, however that works for you. Some people don't like words, but they're really good at pictures. Some people like I crochet like a maniac, but that's therapy, like whatever your way of expressing this stuff is, but just start to get in touch with how you're gaslighting yourself because before you've got to stop that first, you've got to get your epistemic authority back. Yes. And if you, those are the two words you put that on your uh, mirror inside your uh, medicine cabinet, epistemic authority. And just remember you have it. It's yours. You absolutely have it. No one can take it away from you. That's right. Damn it. And even if you're crazy, it's still yours. It's yours. It's yours. And so, and, um, you made a really good point that like, this is something that is not just about sexual assault. This happens to people who I suffer from depression and anxiety and PTSD. And I gaslight myself about my depression and my anxiety and my PTSD. Oh my God. All the time. If you are ever on, um, uh, panic disorder, uh, Twitter, (laughs) (laughs) I follow a lot of people with that, or maybe we all just all suffer from the same thing, but it's it's amazing how many people will get on Twitter and basically uh, do the self gaslighting right on Twitter. They speak about themselves in the worst possible ways. And these are people who are actively trying to learn how to love themselves and how to ease up. And yet that, that dominant logic kicks in. And we're just bad. And I don't know who it's decided. It's like on autopilot. It's on, it's on autopilot and it's almost automatic. Like it's, it's almost like our first language. It's the first language that we learn. And it's like self um, learning how to undo it is our second language. Yeah. And learning a second language is kind of a little bit harder, but it's not impossible. It, it's so frustrating to me that we all were raised in a culture where the white male is considered the template, the, the, the model, I mean, in medicine and everything, it's all about an average white male. And it's like, but they don't, no offense to average white males, but sometimes y'all don't get it. Like they don't, yeah. they're just, they're just wired differently in some ways, but God, can yeah, you imagine if this was, if our culture was based on um, the average black female, like how, to how me, it's like, it would be. yeah, everybody get yelled at for not being nice to their mom. And if that's racist, I guess I'm racist because all my friends that are black moms, they are the most loving, like, come, I will feed you and come into my home women I've ever met. Um, and, and they will hold your ass accountable. But that imagine the difference. Just think of a person in the planet and imagine if our culture was based on how they respond to the world, not how white males respond. Average. I'm just going to go with average white males. Even your medicine is calibrated for the average white male. Your medication, right. guys. So that's how much this is sewn into our culture so hard. Yeah. So, but, um, no. And then the other part that I just wanted to emphasize again was the temporality piece. So that's like the time piece. Talk about this temporal. Okay. So time, time. So I kind of mentioned this earlier and I kind of like sped through it. So I'm just going to go back and I'm just going to kind of like slow it down. So having, um, PTSD, um, I have panic attacks. Um, and I, it's, it's a great time, you know, it's gotta love it. It's um, working, working, working through it, you know, um, have my distress tolerance plan. Um, but part of my distress tolerance plan when I do have my panic attacks is finding a safe place. And sometimes I cannot physically find a safe place. Yes. 
um, because of the trauma that I've been through. And so what I do is I recall on a pre-trauma self that is in a safe place. So this is the time piece. So I go back in time with that pre-trauma self and I sit with that self in my head, obviously not physically, in my head. And I allow myself to be there to feel safe. I work as a behavioral health technician for voice tone. And so one way I'm wording this would just be using positive imagery, um, which is what we have our kids use as a self-control strategy. Um, so we instruct our kids to just think of like a positive place or a positive thing or a positive person in their life and have them sit and think of that when they're feeling overwhelmed, stressed, upset, anxious, any type of feeling that would cause them any distress. And that is how I get through those moments of not feeling safe, of not feeling like I can make it through So when I'm self-gaslighting. If you have childhood trauma, so you can't even literally remember a time when you weren't traumatized, but you have had a chance to cuddle with a bunch of puppies once in your life, or, you know, had the best hot fudge Sunday on earth or whatever that, that moment when you feel untethered and free and you're a hundred percent in your own self is, is really the goal, right? Just that, that feeling of like, no, I'm really good. I'm, I'm, I'm good right now. This is good. Yeah, because I am someone who has childhood trauma. I'm someone who had trauma when I was really, really young. And so I technically don't have a self that is untraumatized. But I do have selves from when I was growing up that brought me a lot of joy. And there yeah. are there are selves who inherently felt safe in moments. And those are the selves that I visit. Those are the selves that I go to because time, temporality connects me to them. Which is a nice way of saying, oh, I just lost you on video, which is a nice way of saying that um, we are not constrained by anything, guys. You can do this. The yeah. idea is if you're driving the car, if the kids are screaming in the back, if, you, if you've walked into the house and everybody's telling you they're hungry, go to the bathroom, let them pound, but you can disappear for a minute or two. Take a minute or two to catch your breath, to not beat yourself up for not having the dinner ready and not having it all, all that crap. Um, take that moment and go, no, I'm doing pretty well, powering through here. I got it going on and I'm gonna take care, of, you know, put the oxygen mask on yourself first, right? Take care of yourself for even that couple minutes. Uh, I, by the way, I don't know. I, I always would go hide in the car. Even when Katie was little, I'd go hide in the car because it was just my little tiny place where yeah. and it has enough soundproofing that I could just have a second and breathe and, and just collect. I didn't want to spaz out on her. Like I can't lose it in front of her. Well, I mean, I did. God knows I did. But the idea of what I can do to protect, to take care of myself before I spaz out on her, I don't want to. Like that's not my desired right. outcome. Yeah. Okay. So this is, okay. This is so good. But I mean, we've talked for an hour, but I'm so excited. Um, I'm going to put the links to how to email page if you want to know more. Like she, like she said, she's working at Boys Town, which is amazing as well, because now she's seeing the, bo the, the world from a male perspective and traumatized males to boot, which we don't talk about enough. And I also work with girls, just so you know. Oh, yeah. Is it is it co-ed now? Is it? 
It is co-ed now. Okay, yep. it's co-ed now. Good. Okay. Yes. I specifically actually work on a teenage girl unit, so I am working more with the teenage girls. But um, you, but you cross-pollinate. Have... Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we do. We both use the cross-pollinate yeah. fingers. Um, but the idea is, yeah, you're you're mixing it up so you can compare notes with other professionals, which I think is awesome because at some point one day this won't be a gender thing, and I think it is more than it ever should be. But that's also because one in three women. I mean, what are you going to do? Right. Um, we need to change the culture. But I, Paige, this is this is so great, and I'm sorry your your speaking got postponed or whatever. But I'm hoping folks get a chance to read this paper and start to think about it, and and start to critically think about this multiplicity of selves, the idea of your epistemic authority and your ability to start to integrate all of you. It's all good, guys. There's no part of you that needs to go away. There's just not. It's all you. Just start managing the crowd like start telling telling yourselves what's where your strength is and where who needs to sit down for a little while and and start to and love them all because they're all you it's all yes. you it's worth that love Paige thank you so so much yes thank you for having me I, I greatly appreciated you reaching out to me and I had so much fun I know this is great and uh, this will go up on Tuesday so okay. I can't wait I can't wait to ha have everybody hear it and everybody else um links will be in the description so you can get more information and see the paper and I thank you all very much for listening today thanks for listening to the lawyer's daughter Venture Highway